This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, really, with rules that can he make up now on his own with this massive investment in Twitter. I want to talk it through with somebody who won't get as uh, concerned about things as I might, because he's very pragmatic and he is certainly is uh, very well aware of how social media is built, how it's run and how it's used. He is a social media educator and the principal at Mediated Reality, one of the best follows on Twitter, oddly enough, or not so oddly. Uh, Jesse Miller, good friend, is uh, with us on the line. Thanks for doing this, Jesse. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Jody. So when you first heard that Elon Musk was uh, purchasing a chunk of Twitter, how did that land with you? Uh, somewhat predictable. Uh, uh, Musk has always uh, played a, a small role in the way that Twitter shapes its uh, conversations on a everyday basis in the sense of when he tweets, whether it's about stocks, whether it's about memes, whether it's about space. The internet does obviously pay attention. He's been very critical of Twitter uh, when it comes to aspects of uh, perceptions of free speech and censorship. And so, you know, when you got a couple billion dollars, why not buy the place that allows you to affirm your own beliefs in your own echo chamber? So is there a limit on how many shares he can own of this company? There is. He, no individual is allowed more than 15% of the company and technically 14.9. So he's bought just under 10%, and which means there's still space for him to buy more stock. But he is now the largest individual shareholder of the company, and he has been appointed to the board. Okay, so appointed to the board and a critic of Twitter and the CEO Parang Agrawal has said in a tweet actually earlier today that he has been named, as you mentioned, to the company's board of director, giving him a say in the strategic direction. Any insight as to what direction uh, Elon Musk might want to take Twitter? Well, Elon, Elon always asks these questions about the Twitter experience, right? He always puts up kind of thought processes as if it's just off the top of his head, which obviously creates a dialogue. Uh, so the one that's very much kind of front and center today is whether or not Twitter would get an edit button. And uh, he's asked this question before on the platform. And Twitter on April Fool's Day kind of teased the idea that an edit button was coming our way. Uh, it's been somewhat confirmed today by Twitter that they're going to be testing this. And again, this has been... You know, for the past 10, 15 years of Twitter, I think it's been kind of front and center. The people have asked for it just based on typos, which typos, forget about. I mean, the reality is we take cheap shots at individuals when it comes to you, your, and uh, there and there. But the yeah. reality of it is, is that now that people can 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 edit, if, they, if that's real, then that would become an interesting part of the way that people use Twitter. It's not just a deleted tweet anymore. It's the idea you've gone back and redacted something. Mm hmm. That does change things. I thought it was really funny because following Elon Musk on Twitter, his question was, do you want an edit button? And then the two buttons were Y-S-E or O-N. <laughs> so he purposely put a typo in his tweet uh, that we could all vote on. And there were 4,312,153 votes on this particular, by the time this screen cap that I have, um, certainly with how many followers does he have? Is he 80 million? 
followers on Twitter? It, it, it's up there. And again, you know, the idea of, of legitimacy, he, he is a legitimate figure on Twitter um, in the sense that uh, he has a number of avenues where he can get his messaging out, even beyond his own uh, enigma of an account, because he has the Tesla accounts, he has the SpaceX accounts. And, you know, as, as CEO and, and, and creator of those companies, he has the ability to really influence the way that tech spaces are discussed. And so this is where he's got himself traditionally in some trouble. I mean, there's been some allegations of stock interference with Tesla stock, you know, going up to 420 and, and making those kind of juvenile jokes involving numbers that make uh, 13-year-old boys chagrin. Uh, but when it comes down to it, uh, the reality here is that, um, you know, Twitter is saying that he will not be allowed to influence day-to-day aspects of the operations. He'll be very similar to any other board member who will be sought out for when it comes to guiding the platform, which, again, which is what board members do in, in any right. aspect of tech. But um, there is a large concern that because of who he is, he'll be uh, guiding it from his, his own Twitter account, which means instead of sitting in a board meeting having a conversation, he'll be the one suggesting it and then trying to leverage that power of his audience. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant about sort of setting his own boundaries within the arena that he has great influence within, which, I mean, when I was talking this through with a friend of mine, it was one of those, what do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? It's like, does uh, Zuckerberg have any different sort of ownership and influence on a Facebook than a Musk might have now on a Twitter? Yeah, we even remember Zuckerberg is is still king of the roost, right? He's got that 51% control. So in that, um, you know, nothing gets made at a decision level without without him proving it. And he can go arbitrary of his investment group as well. Uh, here, Musk is still in the minority in the sense that he owns less than 10% of the company. But within that, you know, we have to be careful. You know, people always say, well, Twitter, Facebook, these are, you know, these are publicly traded companies, but they are private companies in that regard. And, you know, when you sign up, you you play by the terms of service, you play by the rules. And so free speech doesn't necessarily have the same the same control in that space because you are you are party to the rules that are expected of you as a participant. So does that mean that because Musk owns part of the company, he gets to tweet with whatever he wants and his his account isn't subject to the same rules? Now Twitter has said that yes, yeah, so like any other user, his account would be. I mean, would be up for censure if that was the case. But then uh, that's where, you know, part of that dialogue around notable individuals who have been banned from Twitter, whether or not they might be allowed back on the platform with his influence there. There's a lot of conversation going on about that. I want to let our listener know if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with my good friend, Jesse Miller. He is a social media educator and founder of Mediated Reality. It's a great resource for those wanting to learn how to navigate your way responsibly on social media. Jesse was the first to teach me about being a good digital citizen. Uh, certainly it's something that has kind of gone off the rails in, in recent uh, months, maybe even years. And you were mentioning there, Jesse, about how some who have been banned from Twitter might find their their path back under the overarching title of freedom of speech. And certainly a lot of people floating around the 45th president of the United States is somebody that they're wondering if Elon Musk might want to let back in the Twitter swimming pool, as it were. Do you think Donald Trump finds his way back to this platform? 
You know, he gets suggested in board meetings, but the thing is, is that does he tweet it out? And what's interesting here is that, like, if you think about any other company where you have these very large stockholders who sit on boards, if it's a motor vehicle company, let's just, I mean, he obviously with Tesla, it's Tesla, but let's just say one of the top three uh, companies that people in North America are kind of comfortable with, you know, Ford, Honda, whatever the company be. If mm-hmm. one of those shareholders decides, you know what, I'm going to get in a motor vehicle accident with the vehicle that I don't like that our company produced, and then I'm going to blame it on something like the braking system. How would that affect the stock tomorrow? Right? You have a shareholder who's prominent in the company who's decided that they're going to go and not only manipulate public opinion, but potentially the way that people are choosing to use the product. Right? That would be a concern. Now, Musk has the same kind of power here in the sense that as an individual on Twitter, he can tweet something out. But he could sit there and say, you know, I don't really like how Twitter is censoring individuals who should be allowed on the platform. And that could be a larger reach of his power than him sitting at the boardroom table and having mm-hmm. a conversation at, at a quarterly meeting. So within that, when you consider the responsibilities there, obviously he has been subject in certain ways to aspects of, you know, as a CEO, what are your responsibilities? What are your responsibilities to your shareholders? But that's part of the ride that is Elon Musk, is it not? In the sense that you are strapped to something that is uh, literally a rocket. <laughs> and yeah. That rocket yeah. is, is sometimes flying by the seat of its pants in the sense that it is effective. It makes money. It's very engaging in the sense of the personality and the cult of, of the individual. But within that, you have people who are willing to buy Teslas, despite the fact that maybe Elon uh, isn't going to deliver your car in the next six months, or maybe it'll be a year, or maybe it'll be three years for a truck. And then you also have individuals who are willing to put themselves into a rocket and be launched into space based on the fact that he says, hey, we've put in the time and diligence here to make sure this works. And, you know, they haven't lost astronauts yet. So, you know, does it, does it mean at the end of the day that Twitter's going to lose some, some subscribers, potentially, some employees? Definitely. We've already seen some employees publicly state that they will not play, uh, 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 play in a company that has this individual associated to it. And again, the same thing has existed in, in Elon Musk companies before. So that's where you just have to keep in mind here that this is just another thing to add to the fodder of our social media conversation for 2022. Right. It's the ebb and flow here. I hadn't heard that about uh, the Twitter employees exiting because of this. Can you break that down for us a little bit for those who maybe have been caught up in other uh, headlines in our very busy news cycle? Yeah, and, 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 and subsequently more important headlines, I think. But the reality here is that t- Twitter stock has, has jumped today. Uh, Elon himself has already probably made about a billion dollars on, on this in the sense that he's invested three and he's probably already made close to 3.9. But within that, when you consider the idea of the stock value, right, you have employees who have, who have you know, decide to work at Twitter, they, they, they make their, their salary, they have stock options. But uh, there have been some employees who have tweeted out that they will, they've, they've resigned and that because of the value that they have for the company, um, that this individual who's in their eyes problematic for the company to be involved at that level is not something that they're interested in participating in. So uh, one notable tweet has kind of circulated about somebody who uh, has decided to publicly state that they're resigning from the company on the platform itself, which again is very similar to what people have done at Facebook when we've seen massive changes um, where employees are not happy with the direction of the company. Well, I appreciate you unpacking all this with Elon Musk. You and I go way back. We talk all the time. And so I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball and change the subject matter from social media and Elon Musk to social media covering the other, as you mentioned, more important, bigger headlines that we're seeing and how social media is impacting the war in Ukraine and how how seeing things happen in real time on these platforms is impacting the global community. 
Yeah, you know, obviously, if, 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 we're, if we're wired to care and we're wired to donate and we're wired to advocate to our politicians, especially those in our, in our constituencies who, who can then go back to Ottawa and, and, and advocate, um, you know, we're all, we're all very aware of what's occurring in the world based on the social media evidence. And the big comparable as well, if other, if other times of conflict, you know, had this kind of everyday uh, access, you know, those things wouldn't happen. You know, the hard part here for me is that as much as I'd like to believe that aspects of the Holocaust would not have happened if you had individuals being able to share, um, you know, being put onto trains and being moved, you know, over the past month and a half uh, with, with the invasion of Ukraine, we have obviously been not only privy to what was leading up to it, but also just the, the events occurring. And that hasn't really changed the way that NATO or the UN has really approached this beyond sanctions. And so what people are looking for in some ways is boots on the ground uh, intervention, which I think collectively, I mean, I'm not a political scientist, but I think, I think the, the, the problem there is that that would lead to a very disastrous world event. But until it's right there in our backyard, we don't necessarily feel it. And I think what's difficult here with social media is that we obviously share empathy. We share our understanding of what's happening. We put our, our, our avatars to uh, different colors and we try and raise awareness. And those locally in our communities who are, are doing everything they can to get items that are in need to Ukraine, that's, that's really what we can do. But beyond that, social media plays such a pivotal role because you have families that can connect to each other. You have individuals who can keep each other updated. And there's a double-edged sword there, obviously, because if you're in a conflict zone um, and you're broadcasting on social media, you can obviously put yourself into peril as well. But the young people who are using platforms like TikTok to raise awareness or they, you know, their following has gone from being a teenager who's just making you know, silly dances to this idea that you are broadcasting from a war zone and, and talking about your family members who are in these spaces, um, that really does give power to messaging. And I think what's important here is we're not relying on the press who are wearing the, you know, the flak jacket and, and broadcasting from that space as much as that messaging is valuable, but we're also getting a very uh, in-depth firsthand account of what's happening from an individual who is living it. And, the, you know, separating misinformation aside, when we find young people who are using these platforms for active, active good communication about what's happening in their lives, it doesn't matter where this is happening in the world. Um, it's it's a it's a, a active pivotal change in the way that we can understand how other people are facing peril on the planet. It is really quite something, as well as like the everyday citizen, as you say, that went from doing TikTok dances to becoming an embedded member, unofficial member of the press. And also we're hearing directly from the president of Ukraine who from day one, where people thought that, you know, the assassination attempts were coming for him in real time, which reportedly were, he was able to get his message out and get it shared in such a massive way that continues every day. Yeah. And, and, and more importantly here, I mean, obviously, President Zelensky is, is more than adept at being in front of a camera, right? There's a positioning there that's, that's um, beneficial for him. But one of the things I just want to keep individuals in mind is we kind of get to this point where we talk about deep fakes and misinformation. And it is important to recognize that this is going to be part of this ongoing conversation about how we see content, because Individuals like Zelensky, who have hours upon hours upon hours of, of available footage of them, not only in their political spaces, but in the sense of their quote unquote Hollywood esque uh, access. Um, yeah. They're more prone than, let's say, you know, the, the new far right uh, president of, of, of Hungary or the, you know, uh, you know, Biden is, is an individual where you could say the same thing. There's lots of footage available of him, but it doesn't mean at the end of the day that anybody's really caring about a deep fake involving Biden today. 
So within that, the concept of how we create these 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 individuals, yes, he's more adept at being in front of the camera. He's he's recognizing the power of that good messaging to get it out to the world. And also the circuit. I mean, the circuit of messaging not only the parliaments of, of, of other governments, but then calling out the United Nations and, and highlighting, you know, you, you've got to make these changes. There's obviously world policy that has to go into play. You have to do that risk management. Um, but what could this conflict look like without the social media uh, aspects? It could be a lot worse, right? Maybe that's part of yeah. the risk management for uh, Russia as well. They know that there's the ability for this stuff to very much go viral. And unfortunately, with the atrocities that we've seen um, out, of, out of the uh, communities that have been reclaimed by the Ukrainian uh, forces, uh, that's where more and more of us need to stand up and say this is, this is definitely not a conflict that is in any way, shape or form uh, um, both-sided. It's very much an invasion. Jesse Miller, I appreciate your perspective on many subjects today. Thank you for allowing me to pivot there. You uh, you educate us in such a great way. Mediated reality is where you find Jesse online. Thanks for your time, pal.